Autumn, and welcome to the latest episode of the YA Book Lovers Podcast. The YA Book Lovers Podcast is a monthly talk show about the world of teen books, reading, creative writing, conversations with young adult authors, and other updates from the teen space. Brought to you by the librarians of Prescott Valley Public Library. Today I am joined by Colleen. Hello. Who will be my amazing co-host today as we talk about young adult romances and rom-coms, as well as other updates from the teen department. Later on, we also have a special guest. Amy Noel Parks is a YA author known for her debut contemporary romance novel, The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss, as well as her just-released middle-grade novel, Summer of Brave. How did she come up with her fantastic title of The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss? Make sure to stick around for an awesome conversation about writing, literary influences, and more. Now, today's theme is all about romance and rom-coms, so I love romance, and it kind of feels like the majority of young adult books have some kind of love story in it, no matter the genre. Sci-fi, paranormal, my personal favorite, and rom-coms. So, Colleen, do you have any kind of favorite romantic comedies, rom-coms? Yes, and no, I do enjoy a rom-com from time to time, but it's not usually my go-to. So this theme was actually a little bit of a challenge for me because I'm more of a nonfiction reader. And you don't really find a lot of rom-com or romance stories and nonfiction unless you're reading a story about it. So I did find um, a book, though, that definitely goes into a little bit of a love story. And the title is A Complicated Love Story Set in Space. And I thought that was an interesting one because it actually, um, it does have a love story of these two boys who start falling in love in the midst of a pretty intense situation of set in space. But the real reason why I chose this book to talk about is because I thought it was a really cool um, element <laughs> part of it. So a couple years ago, back in 2019, I visited the YALSA conference, which is the Young Adult Services how, what, yeah, what's YALSA? So, YALSA is the Young Adult Services, Library Services Association. <laughs> <laughs> In 2019, I went to Memphis for a book conference. <laughs> and the, uh, one of the authors that visited was Sean David Hutchison, which you probably recognize. Um, he has quite a few popular titles. We Are the Ants is one. And he recently wrote a biography called Brave Face uh, about growing up being queer and some of the challenges there. But in this book, um, or at the conference, he was talking talking about a new novel that he was writing and he didn't have a title set yet, but it, he said it was going to be something along the lines of a complicated love story set in space. So is it actually and set in space? So it actually is set in so space. So it is sci-fi. Okay. So yes, it is sci-fi. So the general story is Noah goes to sleep on earth and he wakes up in a spacesuit floating in outer space outside of a ship called Curiosity spelled with a Q. And that's how the book starts. And so it starts very mysteriously of like, what's going on and how's it all happening? But the reason why, the real reason why this book struck me was because when he was talking about this book a couple years ago, he was really struggling with how to create a scene in space when he's never worn a spacesuit, he's never been in space, and he's never had any kind of experience that is even equivalent to it. And so he, Start, started thinking about different tools that he might have to be able to use to describe these different scenes and things that are set in space. So he created a whole 
scene through VR of outer space and a two-scale replica of his spaceship that he imagined in his story. And through this VR program that he created, he was able to actually walk from one end of the ship to another and have this sort of space-like experience to be able to start describing these scenes that he wanted to create. And I thought it was such a neat way of using the technology that we have to actually write stories. And it really gave me a cool new sense of, you know, how do writers create their stories? Yeah, new kind of research. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I, I mean, I like writing stories, so I'm I'm now interested in creating yeah. my, my space and like see my surroundings, see what everything looks like. Absolutely. That's like really cool. I'm like, maybe I can write a story in space. Maybe yeah. not be scientifically accurate because right. I couldn't. Right, but like who all has been in space, you know? But it definitely no. gives more of a, a, a realistic description. And I actually found a small scene in the book that I wanted to share with you guys that describes a little bit of, and gives you a little taste of sort of the style of, of Sean David Hutchison's writing, which it's really, I feel like it's quite unique. So here's a little snippet from uh, just right at the beginning in chapter two. I trudged along Curiosity's Hole, following the path on my head, taking careful, measured steps like I was crossing a tightrope over a pit of vipers. It was eerie not hearing anything outside of my own breathing inside the suit. I could feel the impact of my boots attaching to the metal hole, and my brain expected to hear the sound of each step and didn't know what to do when it didn't. It left me feeling unsettled and anxious. Adding to my disquietude was that I couldn't see much of the ship beyond the globe of light radiating from my suit. The path on my head disappeared into the darkness, and it could have led me right over the edge, and I wouldn't have known until it was too late. So that was a... I was just imagining that... I mean, that scene wouldn't have struck me unless I knew that information of how he created it. So I just thought there's something about having insight to the actual creation of a story. Yeah, I kind of like that. It's a cool story. Yeah. I totally agree. What about an old school favorite romantic comedy movie? Or is there, I know it's not really your genre. I mean, I'm, I'm a big rom-com fan, so I could probably like list like 20. Well, how about you list a few and then okay. I'll think of Okay, so some of my favorite rom-coms would probably be like, You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle, anything with like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Been to like Beckham is kind of an underrated classic. If you guys haven't seen that one, it's, it's really good. And then there's the Y ad- adaptation rom-coms, which are like a huge thing right now on Netflix. So it's all the boys I've loved before. Is I did really watch cute that one. one. I did enjoy that one. It was pretty cute. It was pretty cute. And, the, you know, a lot of times with rom-coms that are YA into the movies, I usually have read maybe parts of the books but I usually like the book better than the movie or the rendition. Well, the, the book's almost always better. Except for The Princess Diaries. Mm. I like the movie better. But maybe it's because Julie Andrews is like this loving kind of almost matriarch type character. You know, Julie Andrews. But in the book, like she's like the opposite of that. And she's kind of mean. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed it more. It's funnier. Yeah. But I like both. I do like the books, but the movie's just more fun. and Yeah, I guess I prefer the little romantic stories within an adventure or within a sci-fi or within a futuristic dystopian storyline. I guess I'm not really as attracted to the specific rom-com. I like it kind of subtly integrated. Subtly integrated. Did you see Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah. 
I did. That one was subtle, I think. It was, yeah. They didn't even meet till the end. That's true. And I did like the, um, I did like the young, young people characters in that movie. I thought that they, you know, the sons, the sons Yeah, they were really and, cute. Yeah. And, and I always was so impressed with sort of the maturity of his friend, the, the young girl that helps him, like, coordinate the trip to, to New York and all that. It's just like, wow. Well, they're ma- matchmakers. Mm-hmm. I guess it's yeah. kind of a natural characteristic that you can develop. The classic rom-com, which, which is, you know, which is fun, I think. I like the kind of the tropes of the happily ever after at the end, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, the feel-good ending is always nice. But I also like the, the love stories within stories, like what, what you were talking about, where it's not the only the main focus. There's a lot, there's so many, like, great love stories out there. You know, I keep thinking, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, a good example of a rom-com movie that I that I like, and I'm just really struggling with it, but the book keeps popping into my mind by, um, well, the book is, The Sun is Also a Star. Oh, I know it, Nicole, Nicola Yoon. Nicola Yoon, yes. So she wrote an incredible story, and that one did get turned into a mm-hmm. YA. Um, I don't know if it's Netflix or just a other I think it might just movie. be a regular movie release. Mm-hmm. But I have not yet seen the movie, but the book was precious. It was such a sweet story and there was it wasn't all I don't know, it wasn't your your typical romance story and there was I guess it wouldn't really be a comedy either. But it's such a sweet story and I listened to it on audiobook and I just need to do a quick audiobook plug. Listening to audiobooks is totally a way to read. I know a lot of people debate <laughs> that an audiobook is not a good way to read a book. It absolutely is. And I think especially with the way that they create really imaginative productions with audiobooks now, I think that it really creates new levels of the of, of listening to the story. I know with uh, The Sun is Also a Star, they, they use different voices for the different characters. And so you really were able to connect with the characters in a different sort of way. And... Um, so I, re- I strongly recommend that book. It was just really, really excellent. Yeah, that one's been on my to-be-read list for a long time, and I haven't watched the movie either, but I think I'm waiting to read the book. Yeah. Because it's it's been in my pile. Mm-hmm. So I think you should bump it up on your I, list I, a little bit. I need to bump it up. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. So many people have recommended that one to me, and yeah, I've heard a lot of good things. So any favorite uh, young adult couple or duo in reading? Yes. So like I was saying, I like a little bit of a romance story sort of inserted within others. And I also do, on top of nonfiction, I do enjoy reading uh, science fiction, light science fiction. (laughs) But um, one of my favorite authors because of these books is Marie Lu. She really has an incredible way of telling a story and she does write a lot of series two, three, four sets. And this particular one is a duo. And it, the first one is called Warcross. And the follow-up is called Wild Card. And this book was really excellent. It was one that I, I think we had done a previous podcast a couple years ago on it because I just loved it so much. We were chatting about it. And it is a fun story of these... Oh, let me see. How, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> so... Warcross is a game in this book. It's a it's a sort of VR, completely immersive game that has that had become really really popular in this storyline. And uh, it started out as just a game, and then had moved into all different areas of life where millions of people tap into uh, this game. Well, the game is Warcross. That's right. 
And Amika is the main character of this book, and she is a bounty hunter. And part of her bounty hunting hunting job is to find people who are illegally gambling on the game of Warcross because it is such a popular game throughout the world that they have to regulate it. And there's lots of industry and money making going on throughout. And so she ends up accidentally hacking into the world championship of this game and becomes an overnight sensation. And so the whole story goes along with her personal um, computer hacking skills. She's just really an amazing coder and she sees things and she's able to figure out figure out the game and hack into it and becomes a, a prominent player. And the romance element, I don't know how to explain it without being a spoiler. So I'll just say there's a cute little romance well, sort of story embedded with it, but it is an excellent to uh, duo and wildcard really wraps it up and has some really interesting and fun twists and turns for the story. I'll have to check that one out too. Sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi and romance, I actually think goes really well together. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorites, YA couples, I'm going to go way back because it's ones that I like think about for a long time. I'm going to go... I mean, I, I can go all the way back to the Vampire Diaries, you know? I'm going to do, like, this, the Stefan, Elena, Damon, Bonnie, Quadrangle. Totally fun. I'm still waiting on the ending after all these years. The author, to, the original writer to come and give us an ending. So, who does... Oh, they haven't wrapped up that storyline. They did originally, but then she came back and opened it back up. And she originally ended up with Stefan... So if anyone watches a TV show, they'll have kind of an idea of what I'm talking about. But it's it's a vampire romance, you know, where a human, Elena, falls in love with a vampire. And then it turns into a triangle with the other vampire brother. Oh. And then her best friend, Bonnie, also kind of falls in love with Damon. And so it turns into this kind of quadrangle. But in the original, she ends up with Stefan. I'm just putting that out there. Everyone knows about Vampire Diaries these days. Um, but <laughs> I don't think I'm spoiling it too much since there is no ending now and it's opened it back up and now we don't know who Elena ends up with. Hmm, do you know, is there much fan fiction for that storyline that's out there? I'm sure there's a lot of fan fiction. Yeah. So Maybe one of the fans will come up with a good, good ending that they can tap into. Maybe. To wrap it up. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe just continue to allow the story to unfold. You know, the the world has uh, created this... It, it's its own universe, I guess I could say. It's turned into its own thing. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite kind of why... I would say not couples or duos, but like several mm-hmm. characters. You know, something growing up. Collection. Collection. <laughs> but I also really love Tris and Four from Divergent. Oh. Yeah. I, yeah, I really, really like them. I won't go into the spoilers of the horrible ending but i they are a really awesome couple great chemistry i kind of like that whole dystopian romance thing it's similar to sci-fi and it just works really really well together mm-hmm. i think because you have that unique setting to set up the love story mm-hmm. so yeah that's definitely one of my favorites any other favorite romantic couples all of literature any movies anything that I recently started reading some of, uh, and this is old school as well, um, Tamara Pierce, or Tamara Pierce, I guess she pronounces her name, Tamara Pierce. And so it's with um, Elena is the character, and she is a young knight, or she's a she wants to be a knight, and 
Oh, know, wait, I remember this one. I've read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yes, it is. And because she's a girl, she has to pretend that she's not, pretend she's a boy throughout this whole night training, but she proves herself to be an excellent knight. And eventually, it does come out that she is a, a woman, and and there's the romance is, is sweet, too. Oh, but I can't remember the name. See, I'm... I'll well, read you know, the story <laughs> and I'll know I loved it and I'll tell everyone about it and then they'll say, well, what it's about? And I said, I don't remember, but I know it was wonderful. And I think well, I never remember is. characters' names unless I reread it all the mm-hmm. time. Yes, same. Yeah, I have to re- I have to read it more than once for the character's name to actually stick with me. Yeah, yeah. But Elena, the I think it's the Warriors of Small Things. Or that's I don't sound like a very informed librarian on these stories. <laughs> Well, maybe after we can share some of the books we talked about, yeah. we can share some of the book titles and covers. Yes. So you guys can know what we're talking yes. about. Some great book recommendations. It won't um, be so mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have so many, like, favorite romantic couples. Because like I said, I just love romance, so I can, I can list, like, for a long time. But I always go back to my ultimate favorite, which is Anne Shirley and Gilbert Blythe and Anna Green Gables. They're just sweet, and I kind of like that they're these intellectual equals, and it, it it's just such a sweet romance. She's she's so stubborn, Anna's so stubborn, it takes her forever to figure it out, but it's awesome, and you've got the patient Gilbert just waiting, waiting in the background, and it's such a, a lovely romance and story, and I think it's something for all ages. I think children can read the stories, teens can read the stories, adults can read the stories, go back. They're really good. So, Anne and Gilbert, the ultimate couple, <laughs> except maybe Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I think that one might be more of a wide-range classic couple. The iconic. Mm-hmm. The icon- iconic couple. Another favorite. Pride and Prejudice. In fact, we actually have a new manga story of Pride and Prejudice. So, I saw that. Yeah. In the teen area, mm-hmm. it's going to tell Darcy and Elizabeth's epic love story and manga. So mm-hmm. check it out. I'm going to have to look at it too. Let's see how it compares. I wonder how many different versions of Pride and Prejudice now have been created. A million. Probably. A million. Close to. There's, there's like a ton of different versions of Darcy and Elizabeth. And I think even most romances are based on the influence of Darcy and Elizabeth. I can see that. I mean, it's a classic sort of romance formula story. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a ton of new books actually coming in and some of the, there's like a lot of why rom-coms coming out. And I have a few that I'm like excited. I started reading I'll be the one by Lila Lee and it is adorable so far. Uh, The story is about Sky Shin, a Korean American girl who is also bisexual And she's been told her whole life that because she's fat, she can't be a dancer. So, yeah. Kind of of got a mean mom going on in here, too, because she's the one that's really telling her that she's not going to make it as a dancer. Mm. And so Skye, who's awesome, is she has actually a really good uh, body positivity, and she's proud of herself. She's proud of her singing and her dancing. She's going to go prove out to the world, prove everyone wrong, especially her mother, by auditioning for a TV K-pop competition. And she's super talented, so she makes the first cut. And it's there that she meets Henry Cho, who is a 
famous Instagram star who also makes the cut and becomes her dance partner. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so it's it's I'm only like halfway through so far, but I'm I'm excited to see where it ends up, but the rom-com is really cute and I like the whole body positivity aspect of it and how she she has a lot of self-confidence and I just I really like that. It's a really cute book. I really recommend it. I'll be the one by Lila Lee. There's a couple other rom-coms that we have that also sound really cute. And because I love everything British, these are both British romances. So just putting that out there. Um, a Cuban's Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow is about a girl whose parents sent her to England for a few months. And there she meets a cute tea shop clerk and falls in love. So it's all about tea and romance. Cute. Yeah, which I think is adorable. And there's the other book with a British romance that just came out is Hot British Boyfriend. So. <laughs> oh, I saw that one on the shelf. <laughs> it's cute. It's so cute. But it's about, <laughs> about Ellie who studies abroad after a devastating crush goes terrible and where she creates another crush. And with the aid of a classmate, he's supposed to help her win over her British crush as they travel around the beautiful British countryside. That does sound cute. Yeah, though I'm not sure if the romance is going to be with the crush or the classmate helping her. Oh. So. Could be a potential plot twist there. Could be a plot twist. I don't know. We'll see. Um, or a possible love triangle. Possible. Maybe. Possible love triangle. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, I th- I think that one sounds fun. It kind of has that to all the boys I've loved before kind of kind of sound of maybe uh, getting some help and then falling in love possibly with someone else along the way. I don't know. We'll kind see. A new a new love interest. A new love interest. Mm-hmm. Aside from a ton of new young adult romances at Prescott Valley Public Library, we also have a couple of new young adult programs we want to share with everyone. So, Colleen, you want to tell everyone about our Earth Day fashion show and how they can get involved? This one I'm really excited about. I do. I'm really excited about it, too. So, uh, for those of you who know me, I am an artist and I love to do sewing and cosplay, creating fabrications of crazy projects and costumes and all kinds of things. And so, I... We are creating a program for in honor of Earth Day on April 22nd, and we're going to have a virtual fashion show, and it's a recycled fashion show. So the idea is that the participants who are creating these ensembles will create all of their items out of recycled items as well as reused and repurposed fabric that can be collected in various ways, thrift shops, yard sales, old clothes and materials that you might find around the house. Keep in mind, though, if you are going to cut up any clothes or items that uh, belong to you or others, make sure you have permission to do so. You don't want to start cutting up too many things Always ask permission. permission. That's right. <laughs> but this show is going to be a lot of fun. In addition to the ensemble, the participants are also, are also responsible to create their environment and background. So with it being a virtual show, um, they'll create either a digital background from original art or they can also create a physical background with materials that are also recyclables and repurposed fabrics. So this um, program will be, like I said, on April 22nd. Our registration actually is 
closed at April 19th. So you could have up to just a few days before the show to register. However, keep in mind that some of the factors that we'll be judging on are construction and quality of the ensemble and some other um, aesthetic qualities and things. So keep in mind, you want to make sure you give yourself time to create your project. And if you have any questions about that or you want more information, go to our website, pvlib.net slash teens, and you'll find a link to the Recycled Fashion Show with more information as well as a registration there on our website. So come take a look at that and register to participate if you are into fashion and design. And maybe you're into fashion and design, but you're not necessarily interested in participating. And that's okay, too. You're welcome to also watch the fashion show. And we will have a link for that to register as a audience member as we get a little bit closer to the show. Yeah, so please register. We'd love to have you. Yes. A different program we have going on in April is a brand new teen program for mindfulness for teens. And this was actually planned by the Teen Advisory Board. Yes. So they came up with this really great idea of just kind of checking in and seeing how everyone's doing. Just because, you know, we've all been kind of stressed out this year. And so we're going to do a little meditation and we're going to give out mindful journals. So if you register, you can come by the teen department pick it up and we're going to do some mindful writing prompts. So that's, I'm really excited to delve into some of those fun topics. I am too. And it's been really inspiring to see the teens request, uh, request this. So uh, teens creating programs for teens and it's Mm -hmm. going to be just a really good space. So for more teen programs, as well as the ones we talked about today, you can register online at pvlib.net slash teens. All right. Well, thanks, Colleen. Yeah. Thank you, Autumn. This is fun. Yeah. For our final segment of Why Book Lovers, we're excited to welcome young adult author Amy Noel Parks to talk about her debut contemporary romance novel, The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss. Amy is an author, an associate professor of elementary education at Michigan State University, and likes to write stories about smart girls falling for feminist boys. Her debut novel, The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss, was released in January. Amy, thanks for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you with us for our second episode. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, Sure. Um, I was a former elementary school teacher, and for about the last 15 years, I have been working as a professor in a college of education. And primarily, I help um, people who want to be elementary teachers learn to teach math. And then I also live in Michigan with my husband and two daughters. That's great. Um, When did you first realize you wanted to be a writer? And what is it about young adult novels, romance, and rom-coms that speak to you? Um, So I think that I am a writer, sorry, who um, was a reader first. Um, I think like there are some people who grow up like with a notebook in hand and they always know they want to tell stories and, you know, see their name on a book. And that really wasn't me. Um, But I am someone who has been like reading all of my life and um, especially I think happy stories. Um, Sometimes my work can be really emotionally demanding. Um, There are a lot of schools out there that aren't doing a great job serving kids. And so it can be discouraging um, to get up and do what I do every day. And happy books have always been this place where I recover. Um, And I think at a particularly low point in my life, 
like just reading books wasn't doing enough. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe um, I could write one of my own. And like YYA, Y romance, um, like I said, I really love happy books. And I actually think there is nothing more interesting in the world than seeing two people falling in love. And I think YA, mostly because um, I met my husband at 18. And so I don't think I could credibly write a book about like adults dating and falling in love. I don't really know what that's like. Um, so it's just much easier to stay in that YA range. Oh, that's, that's a cool story, though, about your husband. That's really cool. And I, I kind of agree. I love reading happy books. I grew up reading lots of happily ever afters. And there's just something kind of comforting and kind of makes you feel good when you're reading them or watching them. Ah, I absolutely. go through my ro romantic comedies quite a bit. <laughs> so it took you a while to become a writer, to decide you wanted to become a writer, but when did you then write your first story and how old were you? Um, so I did write like one book length manuscript in my early 20s. It was a very silly, cozy mystery. And it sort of came out of the same space of I was um, going through a rough year teaching and I needed this space to like get back to emotional ground zero so I could come in and like be happy with my kids the next day. And so like in that way, it served its purpose, but I didn't really like try to send it out in the world because it was not good. Um, so Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Cast, my debut, I started writing at 46, so pretty late. Um, and the first version actually was also not very good. It was a contemporary fantasy because I had been reading a lot of that at the time. Um, and I just realized when I was done that it, I could not show it to anyone, but I had really fallen in love with the characters and with the STEM boarding school where I had set it. And I thought, well, I wonder if I could write this as a romance, like more playing into my strengths. Um, and so that one, instead of letting it go, I did this rewrite. Um, and then I felt a lot um, more confident about it. And I decided to pursue publication. Okay. So what is your story of getting it published? Well, so first I'll say that, and I would not recommend this to others who are looking to get published. Like I knew absolutely nothing. I was not on Twitter. I uh, wasn't on Instagram. I didn't have any social media. I didn't know about like Absolute Write, which is a website for writers or Query Tracker, which is a website that helps writers find agents. Um, so I just went to the library and I got books out about it and I followed the directions in the books. Um, and that actually did work out all right for me, but I feel like um, there are so many resources out there now that people can really take advantage of. And so because I didn't really know what I was doing, I queried very slowly. I sent out my first letter to just five people. And then when rejections came back, I revised the letter and I revised the opening pages and I sent it out to five people again. Um, and I just kept going like that. Um, and it felt like a long time to me, um, but really it was four months between when I started querying and when I found my agent. So like compared to a lot of people, it really was not very long at all. Um, the path from um, signing with my agent to having the book contract was longer. I mean, in time, it wasn't much longer. It was about six and a half months, but it felt um, much more harrowing um, just because there were so many little ups and downs during it. And you're at this place where you feel so close, but you know, it could all like vanish. Um, that was, that was the hardest time for me in the writing journey. You mentioned a website 
What's the website okay. that you used that you can recommend to other aspiring writers? Um, so one website I would recommend is Absolute Write, um, those two words. And it is actually right at this minute down, but I'm sure we'll be back. Up soon. And that's a forum where lots of writers go and they are, talk about craft questions and they talk about querying and they talk about publishing. And it was a great um, educational tool for me. The other one is Query Tracker. And that's essentially just lists of agents. And um, it has you know, who's open to queries, who's closed, and also comments from writers who have queried agents so you can see like what their typical response time is and the kind of feedback people get. And then I would also recommend there's a blog um, by Jennifer Lachlan, a literary agent called Ask the Agent, or I guess it's a Tumblr technically. And that is also just a wealth of information. So I feel like I found all these resources sort of after I really needed them, but um, I think they could be really useful to people out there. Thanks. Well, we're mostly here to talk about your novel, The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss. Can you tell our listeners what it's about? Um, sure. So it's a dual point of view romance about a nasty, anxious girl and the best friend who has been in love with her his entire life. And it takes place at the STEM boarding school at this moment in Evie's life where she is finally like getting her social anxiety under control and uh, willing to take some risks, um, including dating and um, entering this physics competition. And of course, the first person she starts dating is not the best friend um, who is in love with her. So hijinks ensue after that. Now, I absolutely love the title of her book. How did you come up with the title, The Quantum Weirdness of the Almost Kiss? <laughs> Thanks. I love the title too. It's kind of a mouthful. And sometimes when I'm typing it, I think this is not the best idea, but um, I wouldn't have, I was really happy I got to keep it. So the working title of my book was actually Last First Kiss, um, which is the uh, One Direction song. Um, and the song is this, this thing that made me change from writing this contemporary romance to writing or writing a contemporary fantasy to writing a romance. It made me realize like what I could do with the book. But when it was time to send it out, I math and science are a huge part of this story and a huge part of who both Evie and Caleb are. And I really wanted a title that signaled both the math and science part of the story and also the romance part of the story. So I just started like brainstorming lists of math and science words that were in the book and brainstorming lists of sort of romance words and plays on kisses. And like, this is the one that like stuck for me. Um, and then like it, it's, you know, became, and after I wrote the title, I went back into the book and revised a little, and it becomes a sort of framing idea through the book where um, Caleb especially is thinking about all of the alternate possibilities in the world. So I felt like it fit really well. Now, Evie and Caleb have this adorable best friend slow burn romance going on. Are there any influences for their love story? And if any, are there any writers, rom-com novels, or even love stories that influence the writing of your characters? Yeah, um, so very much um, Anne Shirley and Gilbert Blythe um, from Ellen Montgomery's books. Um, I like just always love that dynamic of like Gilbert being just entirely in love with her from the beginning and Anne being at first oblivious and then a little reluctant. Um, it just wasn't her idea of love. And then like she sort of has this moment like with Anne, like literally a moment where she's in the middle of the night and she realizes, oh my goodness, like this is my person. Um, I just think that's fabulous. And so 
um, that's the dynamic that I was really trying to go for here. Which is the best kind of dynamic. And I have to say that <laughs> Anne Shirley and Gilbert Blythe are like my favorite literary couple of all time. And they're just amazing. <laughs> I love them so much. If And I, I totally love the miniseries. I grew up. So there's something really beautiful about them being intellectual equals. And I kind of see that in your story as well, where they're both kind of discussing, um, you know, like math and coding and, but they, they're still, they have their different levels of intelligence, but they still get along or able to talk about that. And I, I just really love that in stories. And I can definitely see the comparison between Anne and Gilbert. And another different, talking about a different part of your novel, mathematics is a huge part, as you talked about, is kind of showed as more of an art form. And it's really kind of beautiful in the way they talk about math. What kind of research did you do for the quantum weirdness of the almost kiss? And did your background as an associate professor kind of help you talk about mathematical equations with knowledge and fondness? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I think my background did help and it, in an interesting way. So I grew up as someone who was not very interested in math. You know, school math seemed really rote and tedious to me. And actually, even when thing to teach, it was the most boring part of the day. Um, and as I started to learn more about mathematics and about how to teach mathematics well, what I realized was that math could be this like beautiful, creative space and that mathematicians that's how they saw math. Um, and so since I became a professor, I've done a lot of reading um, of books written by mathematicians, written about mathematicians, and just really recognizing this like sense of wonder and beauty that they bring to it. I wanted to show that um, to other people. And then in terms of the actual content, like Evie knows much more mathematics than I do. So I, I did read a lot of books um, to sort of ground myself in that. My favorite one, which I named in the book is um, Our Mathematical Universe by Max Tegmark, which I just think is this really accessible, really gorgeous way of um, describing our world as being entirely made up of mathematics. And um, I really like the idea that through a love story, I could introduce people to that idea. Maybe inspire people into some STEM fields too. Perhaps. <laughs> what part of the book was the most fun to write? Yeah, this is such a great question. I was thinking about that. I mean, I love all the sort of um, bantery, flirting dialogue scenes. All of that is fun for me. But I think my favorite like scene to write um, is toward the end where um, we've gone through the whole book. Uh, Caleb is pining for Evie the whole time and Evie just is not aware of this. Um, and then there's this moment where they're taking the bus home and all of a sudden like Evie sees her best friend as someone who is crush worthy um, and her whole world kind of shifts um, and all of these like orderly boxes that she put people into this person's my friend and this person's my boyfriend um, all of that is broken and um, she spends the rest of the time on the bus, like trying to figure out what this means for her. And the thing that I love about dual point of view is um, so you get to be in her head with all of the confusion, and then you get to move into Caleb's head. And because he's so emotionally perceptive, he knows what's going on with her, but he doesn't say anything about it. Um, so there's this, all these little bits of like tension happening in that space. So that was super fun. 
In the story, Evie has a social anxiety disorder, which is not something I often see in novels. Um, where did you where did this choice come from as a writer, and what helped you write about anxiety with authenticity? Yeah, um, I think there are more books now that take up anxiety, although I do think social anxiety in particular is maybe not as dressed as often. So I think you're right about that. For me, you know, a lot of the way Evie approaches the world is the way I approach the world. Um, you know, I, I share a lot of her fears and, um, I also have very few people in my life who I feel really comfortable with and really close to. Um, and I, I don't like being around large crowds of people or even strangers. Um, so like when I first wrote it, I don't know if I even named like social anxiety as something that was happening. I just wrote the character. And then I sort of realized like the power that we could get of of putting a name to it on the page and of maybe making therapy a little bit bigger part of the book um, and helping, you know, other people who are coping with this realize um, that it's not uncommon and that there are ways through and helping people who aren't coping with this maybe understand what was going on because for people who don't experience social anxiety, Evie's behavior can read as really inexplicable. They don't understand, um, you know, why she is standoffish with a lot of people. And so by putting it on the page, I think it made her a more empathetic character for everyone. I think so. I definitely think that there's any teens reading the book that maybe they're suffering through similar things and they don't know what the name for it is, could be something yeah. that they look into. And I, I think it does make her more empathetic as a character. And I think it's important to talk about some of these things like social anxiety disorders. And like you said, we do talk about anxiety in books, but social anxiety is not something that often gets addressed. So thank you for that. I think it was great. <laughs> now, while we're mostly here to talk about young adult books, um, you also just released a middle grade novel, Summer of Brave, which is also an April Junior Library Guild selection. So Congrats about that. Can you briefly you. tell the listeners what, what it's about? I will. And I'll say, like, since we are focused on YA, that this is a very YA middle grade. Um, so it's upper MG and I is taking up a lot of the things I think you would take up in YA in just a, um, I don't know, the younger developmental grade band, I guess. Um, so Lilla, the main character, is a quiet, introverted, people-pleasing girl. Um, and she feels really caught between her parents, who have a lot of opinions about what she should be doing academically, and who are divorced. And so she's negotiating that. And then her very extroverted friends, who also have a lot of opinions about what should be happening. And then... Um, so she is telling all these white lies to just make everyone happy, but that stops working for her because she has to make this decision about where she's going to go to high school that might make a lot of people unhappy. And she starts feeling this crush for one of her best friends. And so not saying anything is not making her all that happy. And um, she has her first experience with catcalling and she has to decide who, if anyone, she's going to tell about that. And so the story is really about her um, developing the strength to speak up to the people she needs to speak up to. Okay. Now, March is Women's History Month. 
So do you have any influential female writers on your storytelling or even influential female mathematicians that help helped influence your novel? Yeah, both. I mean, so I mentioned Ellen Montgomery. Um, the Anna Green Gables books are a fixture in my life and in my writing. Um, Madeline Langle is also like one of my heroes. Um, I have always loved the ways that she brought mathematics and science into her contemporary stories. And that's definitely um, something that I want to do. And then there's um, an adult writer named Elizabeth Peters, who was an archaeologist, but she also wrote um, these sort of very light romantic mysteries. Um, and I also really admire the way she sort of integrated all this academic knowledge into these very fun, silly stories. And I think like that's a model for me. Um, and then in terms of mathematics, um, Evie is a big fan of Emmy Noether, who um, wrote proofs um, around mathematics and around physics and did it at a time where she couldn't even get a real appointment at a university because she was a woman. Um, and then I'm also a huge fan of Ada Lovelace, um, who lived in the 1800s and um, wrote really the first computer algorithm before computers were ever invented. Uh, she was a brilliant mathematician, but she was also a countess and she was beautiful and she loved fancy dresses. Um, and so she sort of just blew apart all these stereotypes of um, what it means to be a woman in mathematics. Are you working on any other novels? What's next for you? Um, the next one will be another young adult romantic comedy due out in spring in a year. Um, and it is called Leah and Beckett's Abracadabra. And it's another um, contemporary romance about um, two kids who live in this um, magic oriented resort town from sort of rival magic families and they enter this competition and then fall in love. Oh, that sounds really cute. Looking forward to checking it out. And you, and you mentioned romantic comedies again. Do you have a favorite romantic comedy? Um, I think my favorite romantic comedy is Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. Um, I just think, I mean, first of all, I just always love dual point of view. I think that's so fun. I think the romance in there is really sweet. And then I think um, they do humor almost better than anyone. Like the tricky thing about a romantic comedy, I think, is to to really do funny. Um, and there's a scene in Dash and Lily where Dash is sitting on Santa's lap trying to get the journal. And I go back to that and I read it all the time when I'm trying to write funny to just unpack how that scene was done. Before we close, do you have any advice for aspiring writers or any writers that are working on their first book? Um, I mean, I try not to do a ton of advice because I think everyone's journey is so different. Um, but I'll say the thing that has worked for me is to do the things I love, to not worry too much about what I think will sell or what I think will win awards or get reviews, um, but just to write the stories that I want to live in. Um, because publishing is really hard. It's so discouraging um, and it just doesn't stop being discouraging. And so if you don't have that joy from your own work to motivate you, I think it's really hard to move forward through it. Thank you. For everyone and all the listeners interested in checking out the quantum weirdness of The Almost Kiss and Summer of Brave, as well as looking forward to your next book, how can they follow you on social media or where can they best find you? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Amy Noel Parks, um, A-M-Y-N-O-E-L-L-E-P-A-R-K-S. And on Instagram, the same, amy.noel.parks. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you, and we're excited to share the all these books with everyone at the library. All right, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's podcast episode of YA Book Lovers. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Amy Noel Parks for joining me today, along with Colleen for sharing her YA romance recommendations with us. Join us again next month when we talk about more YA. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Plus, you can also stop by our website at pvlib.net slash teens to discover all the latest teen programs at Prescott Valley Public Library. Talk to you all soon.